Hello and welcome back to another episode of Horribly Happy. I'm your host Jenna. And I'm your host Sophie. We're back at it again on this Wednesday. Another day, another dollar. (laughs) How was your weekend, Soph? It was good. Um, I saw you Friday night. Um, We're going to do this new little side series slash who knows how often it will even be to find the best Juicy Lucy in the Twin Cities metro. Yes. Or just Minneapolis? Whatever. Well, yeah, the Twin Cities. Okay. I'll venture outside of Minneapolis for this. Well, thank thank God. Um, <laughs> for those yeah, that so- don't know, a Juicy Lucy is a burger stuffed with cheese instead of cheese being on top. Yes. And I don't know, is it just a Minnesota thing? I don't think so, but... Well... That's claim like, to have started here. Yeah, that's like Minnesota, Minneapolis, like claims to have started the Juicy Lucy. So we went to the 5-8 Club, which claims to be the originator of the Juicy Lucy, but yes. also Matt's Bar. Or what is it called? Yep, Matt's Bar. Also claims to be the originator of the Juicy Lucy. And they're both like really close to each other. So we went to 5-8 Club to try it out. And it was good. It was good. I would... I would go back and be fine, but I wouldn't be like, you need to go to five, eight club to get this burger. Yeah. It was very much like hole in the wall, you know, like just like your classic, like grungy diner. It didn't feel like hole in the wall. It honestly felt like, um, small suburb where, mostly farmers live and that's like their (laughs) local bar which has a different vibe like matt's bar feels like a hole in the wall okay yeah from what i remember yes but the thing with the juicy lucy's is you can get different things inside so so you got like a peanut butter and jelly juicy lucy so it was like inside the burger i got what i get a saucy one so it was like um like an animal style yeah like thousand island secret sauce it was Um, good i would recommend but it wasn't like hands on the best burger i've ever had and for those that have been listening (laughs) since the beginning i'm i i did eat meat yes (laughs) (laughs) jenna has eaten meat the last seven times i've seen her so that's so false Okay, yeah, that is false. But more than fifty percent, more than fifty percent of the time we've been together and gotten a meal, you've gotten meat. Yeah, and that's all about being flexitarian. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't. I don't even think you need to have a. If you want a label, that's fine. But no, it's more to like get my siblings rattled because they. Well, my they, mostly my sister Erin because she's like actually like a pescatarian. Yes. So then I say I'm a flexitarian and she's like, no, you're not. Like she gets annoyed. And yeah. then I'm like, okay, don't try to gatekeep being veggie. Right. Yes, this is true. I've witnessed it. Um, yeah, burgers were good. I would go back for like a good gourmet burger um, for well, sure. That's but the thing, it didn't really feel gourmet, like because the bun was just like a white bun. Like, I wanted, like, a brioche bun. 
Well, when I think of gourmet, I think of toppings that aren't your stereotypical burger toppings, like beyond just like onions, pickles. Yeah. So if you want a um, unique burger. It's a good yeah. Like I had peanut butter and this kind of jam. You had like all these sauces. And I know there was like a barbecue one. I don't know. Um, that's what I mean by gourmet, which could be incorrect, but. I feel like unique a is fun, a better word. A yeah, fun a burger. fun, u- unique burger. Yeah. Yes. So next on the list is Matt's Bar. Yes. And if there's other places, any Minneapolis, St. Paul people want us to try out, let us know. And we will report yeah. back. Um, we also got cheese curds. And I say, I'd say they're a six out of ten. Yeah. Like they're like obviously they the good because they're cheese curds, but it wasn't like anything to write home about. Also, I will say that just because we're on the topic of burgers and Juicy Lucy's, you and I both have been to Blue Door multiple times, and um, I don't think I need to go to Blue Door anymore. People speak very highly of Blue Door, and the last few times I've gone, the toppings are so skimped out on the burgers. One time my burger was like super raw, so I'm just like, "Mm." raw burgers are the worst. Yeah, but they have wings there. So maybe I'll, if I ever go, I'll just get their wings. Got it. Okay. Well, great input. So that was our Friday, which was lovely. Yeah. And then Saturday, I hung out um, with another couple of friends and we just sat outside, chit chatted. And then we got dinner. Um, Tono's, what is it called? Tono's. Philly cheesesteaks or something. Okay. It's in St. Paul, but I got a pizza. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pizza and cheesesteaks are like their thing. And the pizza was really good. So I just had a weekend of eating. And then Sunday was just like my normal chores, like tidy up, grocery shop, meal prep. Get ready. Go back in the office. Get ready for the week reset. <laughs> But yeah, you you traveled this weekend. Yes, I went to Fargo to visit my best friend from college, Taylor. She just had a baby and he's four Ooh, months baby. old and he's so, so cute. So my boyfriend Zach and I went because Brandon and Taylor were all good friends and it was literally so much fun. And we like went out to like a cidery with the babe. So <laughs> and cute. Then we went we uh, went home and then we had like a, a heavy wine night playing games, which is like my love. favorite. Thing. You know, I love playing games. Love a good and game. Night. I did wake up with a pretty bad headache the next morning, as red wine will do to you. Yeah, well, yeah, well, well. Yeah. The pics you posted were cute. It sounded like it was fun. It was very fun. And then I came home and finished my little outdoor space. So yeah. maybe I'll have to post some pics on the pod Instagram pod Instagram yeah. for that. Yeah. Um and this week is actually very exciting because we started our basketball league again. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so- Jenna um, roped me into playing on her basketball league. Yeah, but- I haven't played in two and a half years because of COVID. So I was like so excited that they're starting up again. But it's been two years. So a lot of people on my team have moved or had a baby or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So 
I had to rope some new people in. Well, I haven't played um, competitively in like eight or nine years. So you hadn't, you also hadn't played volleyball and you but dove right I back cons- into that. I consistently played volleyball in the summer. That's true. And intramurals. Oh, I did play intramurals basketball in college. So I, it hasn't been that long, but it'll be rusty, but it'll be fun. It'll be very fun. I hope I can make it up and down the court. So we'll report back on that. (laughs) Yeah, I think my endurance is going to be really bad. Yes, but we have a lot of subs, so it'll be fine. Yeah, you were like saying I had to play because you didn't have enough people. And then all these people are popping up in the GM like they're there. So (laughs) we'll see. We'll see if I show up. It's going to be a part of my life. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so stay tuned to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophie, you had a few things on your list. Yeah. So um, a couple things on TikTok that I just want to talk about. Um, the Utah sodies, uh, where people put like milk or creamer in their Diet Coke, uh, seems to be a very hot take. People are flabbergasted. And well, I will say I've never tried it. I think it sounds really good. Okay. So for those that don't know, Utah. Okay. Where to okay. begin? <laughs> well, I think people will know this. Utah's have a lot of Mormons. Yeah. Utah's very Mormon and, and you can't drink alcohol or coffee, right? Yeah, correct. So I think soda is kind of like their, I don't know. It's like a big so thing. Soda's huge. Um, I work in restaurant marketing, so I actually have a few Utah clients and their soda shops. It's basically like a a coffee shop or whatever, but it's soda shops and people drive through and just get like a diet Coke with like a squirt of lime and then like vanilla creamer would be like an example of one thing you can get. Yep. And I don't think it sounds good. I think it sounds really good. My only thing is like, does the milk curdle with the carbonation? That's the thing. I'm so weird about milk. Like sometimes I'm even weird about the creamer in my coffee. If it like looks like it's not mixing in well enough. Mm, Okay. But we should, we could try it. We should try it. Sounds easy enough. Yeah, we can try it. Maybe we could like post a video of it. (laughs) I just remember one time when I was really young, um, my mom likes Diet Coke. So every now and then we'd have it on hand. And I remember one time she bought this vanilla cherry diet coke like I don't think they make it anymore like they make cherry and they make vanilla yeah no I know exactly the one you're talking about it was so good it was so good okay actually I'm thinking now of like cream sodas which is essentially like you know very similar to that have you ever had a cream soda well cream soda is a type of is a flavor of pop yeah exactly but it's not creamy yeah, it is. No. <laughs> is it not? No, I think it's just like kind of vanilla which is maybe why you're thinking. Yeah. So it's essentially the same. It would be like the same flavor. Oh, okay. Are Italian sodas the ones with cream? I don't know. Do you want to hear something know. weird? Um, in South Africa, cr- uh, cream soda is green. The pop flavor oh, is green. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Okay, so the um, next okay, TikTok, so that's TikTok subject. 
<laughs> we just get um, fight over cream soda on the pod. Yes. Um, the next topic is this couple that I've been following actually for a while, but I just like had a creep fest on their TikTok because I just love them so much. It's London and Olivia. They are, I think they're both 25. Yeah. Um, like they that. are lesbians and they're the most beautiful couple women I have ever seen they're literally both dropped on gorgeous Sophie brought them up to me today and I was like yeah, yeah I know exactly who you're talking about yeah so pretty and they have really great style like and they always like sometimes coordinate and it's so freaking cute. yes their style is amazing and <laughs> Olivia's hair is the reason I bought a Revlon blow dryer because her hair is just like the perfect little blowout so yes so they both have really great hair but olivia's hair is like yeah it's got so much volume and silk and shine and she did like a hair video tutorial oh yeah i I thought (laughs) i think she just like has a ton of hair yes and i was also just like blessed with voluminous hair i don't know it's amazing it's it's great. I, I'm drawing a lot of style inspo from them. And they also are from somewhere down south. So they have like the cutest little southern accent. They're from Arkansas, but they live in Georgia, I think. Okay, so you did a deep dive. <laughs> well, I've I've been following them for like probably six months. Yeah. And I follow them on Instagram. Got it. I'm just I'm just getting all of the bases. Yeah. Covering all my bases with them. Yeah. You're a fan. Yeah. So that's all I had to say is that I have girl crushes on London and Olivia and they're so flipping cute. And um, the soda sounds kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed on all fronts. I'm uh, maybe not the soda, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Okay, cool. Okay. So the last thing that I want to talk about before we get into our stories is the Delphi murders. Have you heard anything about it? No, tell me. I'm genuinely oh my gosh what okay so this is one of maybe the most interesting this is the story that like I go back to the most and like I would like pay money to know what happened yes find this terrible person this murder Delphi murders in John Benet Ramsey yes my like tell me what happened we need to do an episode on Delphi yes we dive deep into it but basically these two young teenagers are like 12 and 13 go on a walk through the woods um and they are just like it's like a park you know they're like on yeah whatever and then um they are found later dead and on their yeah. phones there's a picture of some this guy on snapchat but he's yeah. like indistinguishable like you can't tell who he is but he has a really weird gait and there's actually video recordings. Like, they started recording, too. And it's really just tragic, these poor, poor girls. Um, but there's been an update in the case where police are looking for a man associated with a fake account on different social media sites. Okay. Because, like, it's this, like, the it's always the same guy in the account pictures. It's not him. But yeah. But they're linking this one guy to this account, and they think it has something to do with the Delphi murders. So oh I just retweeted gosh. it on Horribly Happy Podcast Twitter. 
Um, I retweeted the article about it if you're interested. I like, I'm just like, need to know more. I hope this leads somewhere. Yeah, same. I actually think that they do have more like video and audio, but they've only released such a small snippet, which I totally get. They often, I would say, like 100% of the time, please don't release all the evidence that they have. Yeah, yeah. But I need to like keep some secrecy in case like they can validate like with the real uh yeah the real so did it. I'm hoping that this is like a really big lead and they have a lot of reason to think that this man might be involved yeah yeah Oof. so they're asking they like released photos of the guy that they were this this other person was like using photos of this model slash police officer as the account profile on like multiple okay. platforms so they're asking for um calling on the public to ask them if anybody has spoken to this model slash police officer because okay. it wasn't him it was somebody else yeah Ooh. okay cool thanks I for the know. update i know excited. That, that i'm hopeful like that it will lead somewhere the worst pit in my stomach yeah i hate it i hate it yeah so hopefully it goes somewhere all right with that yes. being said lead us into horrible please Okay, I will. It'll be my pleasure. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Um, perfect. Perfect. perfect, perfect. This is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today I'm going to talk about the tragic history of Nebraska's Genoa Indian School. Oh. Um, and my sources this week are Omaha.com and history.nebraska.gov okay I know absolutely nothing about this yeah so I can't remember exactly how I stumbled upon this but it's very similar to um those other indigenous schools in Canada where they found all those unmarked graves of children buried so this is um kind of a similar story Okay. So uh, the fourth federal boarding school to be built in the U.S. was the Genoa Indian Industrial School, which operated from 1884 to 1934. It was one of the largest in the system of 25 federal Indian boarding schools across the U.S. In 1932, the school held its peak population of 599 students housed on their 640-acre campus, campus, their ages ranging from 4 to 22 years old. This location was chosen because the federal government already owned the land. It was also ideal because it served it, oh, because it was several days ride from any large reservation, which would make it difficult for any children to run away and return home. So Uh essentially, this was a school created by the American government in order to quote unquote teach um, Native Americans um, and get them in the education system. And in reality, it really just stripped them of their culture. And um, yeah, they wanted to whitewash them basically. Yeah. Yeah. And they were treated horribly. Um, yeah, just to just want to point out that Sophie obviously knows 
<laughs> that Indian isn't the proper term, but she's just like pulling from a Correct. historical uh, account, which is what they were called. In yes. And they correct um while indian is not the correct terminology you should use native american they still refer to the school as the genoa indian industrial school as that is what it was named during the time of its operation yes um okay so talking about location so authorities designed the schools to quote kill the Indian and save the man, unquote, as Captain Richard Henry Pratt, the founder of the Carlisle Indian School, put it. So just another school in the U.S. Yuck. Mm-hmm. A historical map and a recollection of former students prior to their deaths indicate that there was a cemetery on the school's ground where students were buried. However, its exact location has never been identified. Um. Records show that diseases like tuberculosis, chickenpox, scarlet fever, mumps, and measles spread quickly through the school, which caused a number of deaths. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it is unknown the number of those buried and whether any remains were disposed of in unmarked graves like the ones discovered in Canada. Wow. I know, really sad. Um, like the fact that a school even needs to have a cemetery. Right. Like. It's hard to even wrap your mind around. Yeah. Um, so they haven't been able to locate all the documents that were scattered once these schools were closed. And the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition has identified 367 assimilative Indian boarding schools, but has only been able to locate about 38% of the boarding school records. Oh, wow. So, yeah, less than half. Um, It's also important to understand that the Genoa school records don't provide a complete picture of what life was like for students at Genoa. Records that have been found are often student applications written by school faculty, which really don't reflect the children's point of view. These records and letters show the power imbalance between school and government officials and their students' families. Uh So even though they have found some documents, they really aren't um, indicative of what a hundred percent happened there. Right. Um, on October 27th, 1922, the Genoa school superintendent, Samuel Davis wrote a letter to the father of a student. He called the father's request that this, he called the father's request that the son be returned home, a quote, big mistake and quote, childish. So essentially this father had requested his, uh, native American, Um, child student to be returned home and Samuel Davis refused and said it was a big mistake and childish and wouldn't send him home wow which is just like how is that even like the school's choice right like it's not like the parents were like it's not like a boarding school where it's like no I'm sending my kid off right and whatever like they wanted them to come home um So students often would run away, which was a common occurrence, and they would be returned and punished. And there's a number of stories of students who attempted to run away. The school offered rewards to nearby farmers and townspeople to return the students. Runaways who were returned to the school were punished to essentially solitary confinement and physical abuse has also been recorded. So it's just like by by providing a reward to like farmers and townspeople to return these students it just like makes it 
like so much worse because then I feel like they're like capturing and chasing after these kids who are trying right. to run away. We're just like seeking like a better, trying to get away from like a bad situation. Yeah. But also, like obviously, physical abuse is is terrible, but solitary confinement is like actually like really terrible. Yeah, it's torture. It is yeah. straight up torture. Um. On February 1st of 1928, the U.S. Senate passed a resolution authorizing the Committee on Indian Affairs to survey conditions of Native Americans across the country, as well as evaluate any abuse that uh, should be corrected in these schools. The government brought two former employees of the Genoa Indian School in D.C. in 1929 to testify before a subcommittee of U.S. Senators on conditions of the school. Mm-hmm. The, the former employees testified that Superintendent Davis, so this is the Samuel Davis who wrote that letter, took boys out of school to work on his private farm and that they had each witnessed Davis hitting students. Wow. So this guy sucks. Um, yes. To say the least. <laughs> yeah. Um, Julie Carroll was employed there from April to August of 1923 and told the subcommittee some of the children were beaten up like dogs until blood flew out of their noses. I saw little children beaten up there until honestly, it was surprising thing that they have such an institution anywhere conducted by white men over Indian children. Wow. Yeah. And that's in 1923. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a hundred years ago, but it, it's still like really recent in history. Yes, right. Um, Sydney Bird was the last known living former student of the Genova or Genoa School. Genova, what is that from? Is that from Princess Diaries? <laughs> yes, Princess of Genovia. Oh gosh. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway, Sidney Bird was the last known living former student of the Genoa School. Shortly before his death in 2016, he told a story at a school reunion about a time when the school's superintendent beat him and the other kids with a switch off a cherry tree because they were playing in a trash pile. I assume a switch is like a branch. Okay. Um, because Bird went on to say that he was one of the last children in the group beaten and by the time his turn came around the smaller branches had come off and bird was essentially hit with the club he had been beaten so badly he could hardly lie down he had to lay on his stomach that is just like so disturbing it's disgusting it's truly horrifying um i don't sorry i don't believe in capital punishment where you like you know, like, um, I think that's what it's called, like in schools or whatever, where you can like, oh, people. yeah. Or like even this, this might be controversial, but like, I, I, I don't want to like spank my children, you know, like, I just don't believe in any of that. Yeah. So when you hear like, oh, there was like the school, like, you know, physically reprimanded them, you kind of just think they like spanked them or whatever, yeah. which I still don't agree with. Yes. But they no, were full like, on beating them. literally like be yeah that's terrible horrible Mm -hmm. so upsetting yeah so like I was reading about this and obviously I assumed that the parents had no idea what was going on but I was kind of like you know how did this start how did they get these kids on board right 
So Native Americans were convinced to send their children to these schools initially because they were marketed as a way for their children to learn English and thus be able to negotiate for their tribe. It was also promised the students would learn a trade. So obviously that sounds like very appealing for these Native American communities that they're um, kids could be bilingual in their native language um, and English and also to learn a trade which I think loosely yes they did learn a trade like so these schools were like operated by the students as well like the students were the cooks they did the repairs they kept the lawn and I imagine that they buried the bodies of children who died from sickness wow um so yes they learned a trade but it wasn't like at one point this article talks about how um they didn't learn these trades as a way of being like self-sufficient they learned these trades as a way of like especially the women to take care of a household which isn't wrong i guess but it also isn't all that helpful like Right. It's not like they're like sitting in welding class, like learning how to, you know, learn a trade in that way. Yeah. Like learning how to. It was like essentially a means of survival. Yeah. Right. Um, So, but soon these parents argued against these schools. They didn't mind the education, but they didn't like that their children were being taken from them. And they wanted like local schools within the communities, not like one school per state where you had to travel and their kids couldn't come home essentially. Um, But the government began to keep strict census records on reservations, including how many children were born each year. They would sometimes bring in military or police to bring children to the school. Some parents even began to hide their children from being counted on the census. So I think initially parents really liked the idea and were all for it. And then assuming they would hear back from their kids or just having your kids gone from the ages of four to 22, like that's their whole life. That's so long. Yeah. They just were like, okay, we don't want to do this anymore. Um, and Morgan Lovejoy, a former student at the Genoa Indian school said that the students were stripped of their language and culture. He has stated quote, um, our language is forgotten, our tradition is forgotten, unquote. And I just felt like that's very encompassing of, I mean, if you strip it all down, that's exactly what happened at these schools. Um, yeah. They they whitewashed them, like you said. They had no intention of actually bettering their lives or like promoting their heritage and and white, if you think to that quote, what was it about stripping and something? Stripped of their language and culture? No, the other one, that was like, beat the something, and then you get the man. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is, where is it? Killed the Indian and saved the man. Yeah, like, if you think to that it's so blatant what they were trying to do yeah they they were never trying it wasn't like oh we we initially this was a great idea and then it kind of like turned into this like their their intent all along was to do that um so yeah that school 
was shut down in 1934. And I think a lot of the other schools across the, the country were around that time also shut down. Um, for the Genoa school, unfortunately, all known living former students have passed, but there's still a lot of ancestors. And I think they're really devoted to talking about like what happened and bring awareness to it um, and locate those records. And I really hope that they can kind of piece that stuff together. I know at least the Genoa Indian School has some of the schools still standing and they've kind of recreated it into like a memorial or like an information center. Um, I think that's really cool um, to bring awareness to it. And yeah, I just, I remember hearing about the Canada stuff. Yeah. What was that like over a year ago now? And then um, I came across the Genoa school. I don't even know a few months ago. And honestly, I'm just really embarrassed that that's the first I'd ever heard of anything like that in the U S like, of course, overarching, I knew there's been whitewashing and stealing land in all of those horrible things that we've done to the native Americans. But I don't know. I just feel really icky that I didn't know that. And like, that's not taught in our schools. And I know that's like a whole nother topic, but yeah, yes, it is not. Yeah, exactly. That's a whole nother topic to dive into. But yeah, what what's like presented and what we learn growing up is like so vastly different than or different and just like missing key components of like history. Yeah, like I didn't even learn that. I don't know. We might cut this out later, but like I didn't even learn that Thanksgiving or the, when they came, like, came, yeah, Thanksgiving, yeah. like, when they came over on the Mayflower and, like, had a feast with the Native Americans, like, that was just, like, so blatantly not true, which maybe cut this out, because that's embarrassing. <laughs> but when did you learn that? In college. No way. Like, freshman year of college. But, like, yeah, if you weren't taught that, how would you know? I mean, we weren't taught that in high school. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know when I learned that it was different, but I remember blatantly learning that it was like a friendly feast. Yeah, I think I like knew it was different before college, but like just learning just how bad it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, how would you how would you know differently if that's what you were taught in schools growing up? Yeah, right. I, I think they're teaching it differently now. I hope so. Well, in, in some states, maybe. But yeah, definitely not in other states. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I blatantly remember just like sitting there thinking it was a feast. Yeah. 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 yeah that's such a fascinating story. I really think it's like it, it's important to like look at our history you know because we hear stories that like Canada that happened but like so many things happened here so many things Mm -hmm. happened in Minnesota that we should look into it's just Mm -hmm. like important to educate yourself I think yeah yeah I found that really interesting I hope they can kind of piece together and fill in the gaps from their knowledge of the history of that school Uh, I think it'd be really interesting to read about other schools across the U.S. this was just one in the Nebraska area so yeah, that's, that was my story today. Um, pretty gross and disturbing. Yeah. 
Um, but also, like you said, good to talk about yeah. it and shed light on it. For sure. It's just like, if you, if schools aren't going to teach it, you have to research it yourself then. And yeah. And maybe right now. Yeah. I think like, that's always reassuring is like, I mean, no parent is perfect, but I know going forward, like kind of what I want my household to look like or schools to look like. And yes, um, hopefully like we can achieve that. 100%. For sure. I think we should leave the part in. because it's true like it's true you know schools and like sometimes government or just like you know governing bodies just like want to present our history as like this successful Mm -hmm. um you know just like the successful experiment (laughs) and yeah it wasn't always the case like there's dark moments in history that need to be brought light too yeah and I think we 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 don't want to erase it and just pretend it didn't happen it's hard and it's ugly to talk about but but we have to and even like taking down of certain statues and stuff that's kind of been happening um we don't need to destroy them I think we we really should find a place like a museum because I think it's an important part of history that we need to learn because we need to learn what not to do. Yeah. Wait, so you're saying like we should take down statues and like put them in a museum as like an alternative? Yeah. yeah like, because I, I don't want to keep the statue up to like oh, commemorate yeah, yeah. these people. I, at first I, I thought you were going to say leave the statues up and I was, I was a little nervous. I was like, oh, we're on No, different. like, no I think it should be used as an educational tool yeah that makes like, sense who, who was this person like or this figure and like why were they why did we, they become this have public- a museum of just like literally every statue that we had to take down in the country and literally the dark history of the U.S. yeah like just like a shameful statue museum I would totally go to that yeah and Obviously, this is like not the same, and I don't even want to compare apples to or- to oranges. But like the Holocaust Museum, like that's a terrible, mm-hmm. terrible moment in history, and like, but it's important to also educate on it and see what we did and learn from it. Yeah. So that's kind of the vibe I'm trying to give off here. Yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I really agree. Great anyway. job, Sophie. Yeah, thanks for listening. Always. Um, you kind of gave me a little sneak peek of something you want to talk about, and I'm excited to, to yes. hear it. Yes. So I think you'll be surprised where this starts. Okay. But I wanted to talk about Title Nine as the 50th anniversary is this summer. So that's Let's what do I'm going to talk about right now. Okay. So my sources are insightintodiversity.com, history.com, wikipedia.com, usatoday.com. Nice. So this year marks the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX of the Education's Amendments of 1972, a landmark piece of legislation for gender equality and equity. Bernice Sandler, known as the godmother of Title IX, said, Title IX is probably the most important law passed for women and girls in Congress since women obtained the right to vote in 1920. The law ensures that 
all education programs and activities receiving federal funding must protect students and employees from sex-based discrimination and bans many aspects of gender inequality that have previously been tolerated or overlooked in education. As a result of Title IX, any school that receives any federal money from elementary schools to university level, in short, nearly all schools, must provide fair and equal treatment of sexes in all areas, including athletics. So a lot of people think of Title IX with athletics, and that's how mm-hmm. I think of it too. Yeah. But it was really just like in all aspects, you know, clubs, education, yeah. and athletics, like anything to do with like the school and federal funding. Yes. Yeah. So despite consistent attempts through legislation, executive actions, and lawsuits to diminish diminish its effectiveness, Title IX continues to provide these protections today. Before Title IX, few opportunities existed for female athletes. The NCAA, which was created in 1906 to format and enforce rules in men's football, Uh, but had soon become the ruling body of all college athletics, offered no athletic scholarships for women, and held no championships for women's teams. Furthermore, facilities, supplies, and funding were extremely lacking. As a result, in 1972, there were just 30,000 women participating in NCAA sports, as opposed to 170,000 men. So 30,000 to 170,000. What's the percentage, so... (laughs) Oh, don't, don't don't even do that to me. I'm just kidding. How dare you? Less than 50%. (laughs) (laughs) Title IX was designated to correct those imbalances. Although it did not require that women's athletics receive the same amount of money as men's athletics, it was designed to enforce equal access and quality. Women's and men's programs were required to devote the same resources to locker rooms, medical treatment, training, coaching, practice times, travel, per diem allowances, equipment, practice facilities, tutoring, and recruitment. So before Title IX, female athletes received 2% of college athletic budgets, while athletic scholarships were for women were like non-existent. Yeah. Scholarship money was to be budgeted on a commencement on a commencement. I don't know what you're trying to say. Me either. Scholarship money <laughs> was to be budgeted so that 40% of the school's athletic scholarships were awarded to men. 40% also had to be embarked for women. So it had to be equal. Yep. Didn't have to be 50-50, but like whatever went towards men's athletics had to, yes. also had to go towards women's athletics. Since the enactment of Title IX, women's participation in sports has grown exponentially. In high school, the number of girl athletes has increased from just 295,000 in 1972 to more than 2.6 million. Woohoo! I know. And we're one of those. Let's go. (laughs) Or used to be. In college, the number has grown from 30,000 to more than 150,000. In addition, Title IX is credited with decreasing the dropout rate of girls from high school and increasing the number of women who pursue higher education and complete college degrees. So that's just like some background on the law. Yeah. Um, it clearly like has impacted us in ways that we don't even know since we both participated in sports in, in high school. And then I also went on to participate in college. Like, yeah, I would have never had those opportunities 
And like, like you said, I was in a lot of clubs in high school. Um, so just like being super involved in extracurricular activities. Yeah. Both of us were, Mm -hmm. um, beyond just sports. So yeah, that's really cool to, to be a part of that number. Yeah. Like growing number. Yes. Exponentially growing. And I'm going to go into some controversy over the law as well. So, which is just like, why is there controversy? You know? <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I'm guessing men are the ones <laughs> ruffling feathers, though. Right. So organizations like the NCAA have challenged Title IX's legality, while others have argued that it should only apply to educational programs that directly receive federal funds. So, like, sports don't directly receive educational funds. Oh, my God. In 1984, the Supreme Court agreed with the interpretation of Grove City versus Bell, effectively removing Title IX coverage of athletics except for athletic scholarships. However, the passage of the Civil Rights Restoration Act of 1987 over President Ronald Reagan's veto reversed that decision and reinstituted Title IX's broad coverage for any educational institution receiving any federal funds. So it's like people are just like throwing daggers at this. I'm just covering a few of the um, controversies, but like every year there's a controversy with Title IX and people trying to knock it down or you're so right it is always in the news yeah it is and it just feels so weird like why it's just so ridiculous like extracurriculars clubs and sports and just that funding is so important like you learn so many life lessons it's not just like oh I just want to play a sport it's like think about the life lessons you learn that you carry throughout into adulthood And like, even with clubs that, I mean, I feel like clubs are common because of like underfunding or the inability to like offer that stuff, you know, in your regular day-to-day school schedule Um, or just provide another outlet for kids. Like my sister is not sporty. Like she's not into athletics, but she's incredibly artistic Mm -hmm. and she can sing and she likes to act. So it's like, so I don't know. It's just, that just frustrates me. Like yeah. who do these people think they are? <laughs> I know. And it's like, sorry, this is supposed to be a happy story, but now I'm pissed. No, I know. And it's, it is happy because like we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. But there's like frustrating parts of the story and I'll get into that as well. So the 1990s and beyond have also seen continued legal challenges to Title IX, as well as a number of lawsuits alleging the violation of its protections. So the path of the 50 years has been bumpy, um, and up to today, 80% of higher education institutions are still out of compliance. So controversy of Title IX often centers around misunderstandings of the law, such as mistaken belief that it requires quotas, which it does not, or the idea that it has caused a decline in men's sports, which it has not. Participation rates for male athletes have increased consistently since Title IX's passage. A special report for Title IX's 40th anniversary found that NCAA member institutions saw a net gain of nearly 1,000 men's sports teams from 1988 to 2011. So for sure growing like there's no doubt about it fake news 
Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a, a few things that go into complying with the law. I don't want to go too in deep into it, but there's three things to comply. So you either need to have equal opportunities for men and women, mm-hmm. which sometimes is not possible. Like if you think about how, how many, if you have a football team at a school, like how many spots that takes up, right? Yeah. So you, you might not have an equal number of men and women participating in sports, but you just have to be working towards that number and then you're in compliance. Okay. That makes sense. Is, does this fall into the category of the number of male sports has to be equal to the number of female sports as well? So offered, it's not like the number of individual sports offered, but it's like the amount of spots open to participate. Okay. I see. So also you have to demonstrate a historical and continued practice of program expansion, which is what I was talking about. So like, if you have a school with a really big football team, you're probably not going to add on men's volleyball because that would be another notch into the men's team or the men's quota, or there's no quotas, there's no quotas, but that would be um, adding to the men's roster there. So instead you would probably add women's lacrosse, you know, working towards that. Okay. Yep. And then, uh, the third thing is you just need to fully and effectively accommodate the interests and abilities of the underrepresented sex. So you just need to like, like I'm saying, like if you, if, if the women are like really wanting lacrosse, that would be like the thing that you would want to add next because that's what the underrepresented sex wants. Okay. So 80% of schools are out of compliance, meaning they're not actively trying to rectify this situation but if you are rec- trying to add it on like Concordia the school I went to the next NCAA sport that they would add is women's lacrosse so that I believe is in the works which means they're in compliance because they're working towards that got it yeah just like kind and of I wonder confusing. what my school might be different because it is kind of separate institutions oh yeah yeah I don't know exactly but like a lot of people are up in arms, like, oh, you have to reach this quota or like, you know, like some people don't really understand the rules where it's like, well, it's just, it's just growth. It's just like working towards the next thing. Yeah. And it actually works both ways. So for example, in 2021, a wave of lawsuits were filed um, and Clemson University's men's track and field and cross country teams won a historic settlement for their claim of di- claim of discrimination based on Title IX, because before that there was nearly equal number of men and women's college athletes participating in Clemson in ni- or in 2019 and 2020, but then the next year 2021, um, the cuts meant that there was no longer equitable number of opportunities. Mm. And that was for the men. And it was Mm -hmm. true because there was an equal number before that. And then they cut two men's teams. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it actually works both ways. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's only a problem until it's their problem. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So that's just some history and like some of the drama behind it, but like we're working in the right direction for sure. And I just want like to keep pushing that way. But something I also thought about 
I, I, part of it's like with the NCAA women's swimming champion um, chips that came up in the news made me think of this. And then also it's something that's like been, I've been like really thinking about lately um, is trans people in sports, trans athletes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really wonder how title nine impacts trans athletes because mm-hmm. I was just like, I, I feel like I haven't like researched that that much. So I just took a deep dive on just basically like trans athletes and sports <laughs> so yeah. I'm gonna get into that a little bit now. Okay. So first off, I have an opinion on this and it's really strong and I understand that everybody has my same opinion and we're all open to believing different things. But also I think if you look into, I also think like things are um, like if you just look at a headline, you might think differently than if you actually researched into the topic. So yes. I just want to open up this conversation to the research I've found and, uh, you know, ask you to listen to what I found. Yeah. And I want to say that, um, we actually had a very brief conversation about this a couple of weeks ago and, I will be the first to admit that I don't know a ton about this topic. And for me, I just like was kind of like, yeah, I don't really know what the big deal is. Like let them participate in whatever sport they identify in. Like I just, but I didn't research it to find an argument as to why. And I think even sometimes I was kind of like, I just don't, I don't feel like I know enough about this topic to talk about it, which is also okay to say, I think. Yes. Um, we don't always have to have an opinion when we, especially when we aren't educated on that topic, but we had a brief conversation. I really liked what you had to say. So I'm excited to hear more. And I just wanted to preface that. Yes. And I am pro trans athletes competing. So I just want to yes. clear that up. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Yes. Um, that wasn't stated yet. Yeah. I know. I, I just felt like I was like building it up and people were like, Oh, which way is she? <laughs> What's it going to be? <laughs> um, okay. So first I'm going to start off with like the Olympics and a little bit of history on that. So athletes who transitioned from female to male were allowed to compete without restriction in the 2016 Rio Olympics. Um, although no transgender athletes actually competed in 2016, but that like, okay. opened up the doors for that. So got it. female to male, um, trans males were allowed to compete without restriction. And then in 2021, they approved Laurel Hubbard, a trans woman to compete in 2020 summer Olympics in weightlifting. Hubbard became the first out trans woman to compete at the Olympics. Um, although she did not complete any of her lifts and won no medals so this was like very historic and you probably didn't hear about it and nobody was outraged about it because she didn't win anything yep (laughs) yep more detail yeah and and great for her for competing I mean you have to be good to compete obviously you have to be so good to even qualify yeah right but she didn't you know even complete her lifts which is like part of uh yeah part of that sport um so those are just kind of interesting and like that's just um where the olympics is at right now so every you know governing sport body is a little bit different so in 2011 Mm -hmm. ncaa resource outlined their best practices and policies for the inclusion of transgender student athletes 
This policy permits transgender athletes who are not using hormone therapy to continue participating on the team that corresponds with their sex assigned at birth. So if you aren't doing any gender or sorry, if you aren't doing any hormone therapy or anything like that, you can compete in sports, but it has to be on your gender that was assigned to you at birth. Okay. However, a trans male student athlete may participate on either a men's or women's team unless receiving testosterone, in which case he may only compete on a men's team. Okay. So if you are going under hormone therapy as a trans male, you can compete you know, with no restrictions on a male team. Okay. Athletes receiving doses of testosterone as a part of their transition have to apply for a medical exemption through the league because testosterone is a banned substance in the NCAA. So it's kind of like an interesting, like, you know, it's interesting, but like, what are the, and maybe you'll get into this. I don't know. This is my thought process. What are like the average testosterone levels in a male and why couldn't a trans male stay at those levels no and that is that's the point like that's that they get the metal medical exemption to be at like a a male's testosterone levels yeah and not higher yeah yeah exactly okay that makes sense I don't have the exact levels like I didn't go into the science but yes no yeah point there so a trans woman student athlete is not permitted to compete on a woman's team until one year after testosterone suppression treatment. And then ongoing monitoring of treatment and written documentation is required for student athletes undergoing testosterone suppression. So you have to wait a full year, reach certain levels, and then you're allowed to compete as a trans woman in women's sports. Got it. So this was recently in the media widely as the University of Pennsylvania student Leah Thomas, who swam for the men's team in 2018 and now for the women's team in 2021. In March 2022, she became the first openly transgender athlete to win an NCAA Division I national championship in any sport after winning the women's 500-yard freestyle event, which is, like, incredible, good for her, congratulations, Mm -hmm. Um, amazing. And there was a lot of controversy around it. Yeah. People were upset that she won. They thought she had an unfair advantage. There was photos yeah. released where um, the second place and third place winners were like far apart from Leah on the podium. And it looked like they were kind of like ostracizing her like in protest. Yeah. That actually wasn't the case at all. Like um, there was actually like a big uh, petition that a bunch of NCAA athletes signed um, fighting for Leah's rights to compete. And one of the okay. winners on that podium signed that letter. So winner two and three were just friends. I think they were, um, I don't, I don't know the exact details. They might've been on the same like um, training team or something like that. And they were taking a photo together while Leah was on. I mean, this is just a perfect example of media just wanting to put out there what they want you to think happened and what they want you to see and not knowing what happened. I mean, we're all victims to it. Yeah. We've all fallen for it. Yeah, exactly. So just after a little bit of research, that wasn't the case at all. And they actually both supported Leah or one did for sure as she signed the petition. 
So just a little bit about Leah. She actually has lost a bunch of muscle mass through her transition. Um, a, a lot of muscle mass and strength through her testosterone suppression and hormone replacement therapy. So yeah. her time for the 500 meter freestyle, which is what she won, uh, is actually over 15 seconds slower than her personal best before medically transitioning. Okay. So like, you know, that's significantly slower yes, for a race. It like is. That. Yes. And Leah's winning time was actually 9.8 seconds short of Katie Lendecky's NCAA record. So like she, it's not like she's like breaking records, you know, like, which is a female born female. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's important at birth, Katie. Um, Yes. So Katie holds the record and Leah's time was over 19 seconds short of that. Um, Over 19. Oh, sorry. Over nine seconds short of that. Okay. But still significant. Definitely still significant. Yeah. So Leah also competed in other races in that NCAA tournament and actually lost two races. I think she got like sixth place and eighth place in other two races or something like that. So, you know, it's not like she's, she excelled at the 500 meter and amazing. But she's by no means dominating the sport. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, like, I'm just... I heard a quote the other day and it was like, never has so much hate been directed at such a little population of the human race Mm -hmm. because although like the transgender population is significant, it's small Mm -hmm. and, and they just want to live the life that they are literally designed to live. Like they're meant to live and like so much hate is being generated towards them. And it just like, it really infuriates me. And I just feel like if people like looked into actual data, like what happens to somebody's body when they like become who Mm -hmm. they are and how that impacts, like, and how it it truly doesn't put that at an unfair advantage. Like, I just, I just feel like it would open people's minds a little bit more. Um, And Zach and I were actually talking about that the other day because my boyfriend Zach is six five and he played hockey and was like really good at it. Um so good. He played professional abroad. So good. Um and if he which he's not transgender, but so this is just like hypothetical, but if he like chose to, to transition, um he would still be really amazing at hockey, but he would lose obviously like muscle mass and like um you know what hormones he would be at like a normal level of like a woman for hormones, yeah. but he yeah. would still have all the skill of competing at a high level of competition. Yes. Which a girl, uh, a girl that's a female assigned at birth could also do like my cousin played hockey and was really good and went on to play in the Olympics. And she played hockey. Um, she she played with boys growing up like all through yeah. and, and she really excelled and she just like pushed herself to this level because of the environment she surrounded herself in so then like I guess the point of this is like when at the point of transition like once you're you're fully transitioned it's not about your like physical um advantages anymore it's more so the, the skill your upbringing, your upbringing and your skill that you've gained from whatever environment you grew up in 
And yeah, also, like, like, you know, like Michael Phelps has a huge advantage and that's just like his body structure. Yes. I, I totally get what you're saying. My dad always used to tell me growing up, the only way to get better is to play against people who are better than you. And yeah. whether that be men or women or people older than you or people stronger than you, um, whatever that environment looks like, that's what helps you get better and increase your skill level. Yes. There's like Zach would still have so much advantage because he's really tall. Like if then he chose to play basketball, he would probably dominate. I'm not trying to use Zach as an example because he's not transgender. Um, but there's also women who are also, I played on five. I, on my basketball team in college, I had a six, five teammate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, we don't fault people for having these great genetics of being tall from playing sports. Um, like I'm five, four, I'm short. I bet if I was literally two inches taller, my athletic ability would have looked way different, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just, it, it is what it is for sure. And I, but also there's people shorter than me who freaking dominate at basketball. That's, that's also true. Yes. (laughs) So it's, it's, there's so many different things that go into it, but also like my point is just like, it's not just like your physical build that goes into these things. Yeah. A lot of other factors. And just in the stories you've said, it's proven that the physical build is often affected by the hormones that are being taken during the transition anyway. So Right. Like you can't, a lot of it is lost your height, but like you, you change hormone levels and that affects your muscles, your strength, all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so you might think like, where, where is this going? I thought we were talking about title nine. Okay. So here's title nine and trans rights in 2021. It was announced that Joe Biden's administration was reversing the GOP authored guidance against transgender and gay students. The right of transgender and gay students are now protected by Title IX. So, bit of history. Uh, President Obama actually enacted that same law that Joe Biden enacted, protecting transgender and gay students with Title IX. And then um, President Trump reversed that decision. And now Biden enacted that decision again to protect. Reverse, reverse. Play that reverse Uno card, baby. it's frustrating to me because like at this point, like, can we just, I, it, I just don't want it to be reversed again. Like, I just would like it to be permanent, please. Mm-hmm. There are definitely some policies that just get reversed when um, different political parties hold office. And that yeah. is rather annoying. Yes. And I feel so passionate about this subject and I just, I hope someday it's like, um, gay marriage where it's just like everybody accepts it you know mm-hmm. or, or for mm-hmm. the most part <laughs> like, does everyone yeah. accept it <laughs> if you like sir i think if you, there's a survey it's like the vast majority accept yes. it um so i, I would hope i know that, what you're trying to say yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i'd hope that we can get to that point with trans rights as well um because it's just like it, the whiplash that people are experiencing and like um think of if you're like in middle school and high school and like going through these uh, this um like these feelings and thoughts and 
and trying to figure out who you are and then like the cut room is like going back and forth on decisions about like who you can be and like if you can be discriminated against it's just like yeah, every every four years your rights are changed right yeah that's exactly. that's a crazy concept maybe people should dig deeper into that yeah exactly so um that's the state of it now uh and um actually a year before Biden did that in 2021 the Supreme Court ruled that gay and transgender workers are now protected under the Civil Rights Act um and that bans discrimination in the workplace so uh, awesome. they, they are covered there which is amazing um and then the education department's interpretation says gay and transgender students will have those same protections in school now um and then at like a high school level um with like transgender athletes it's it varies from state to state as we see in the news um Mm -hmm. so it's not like the ncaa where they have like an overarching rule or the olympics um it's uh yeah it's a it's a little bit more complex and it's um the rules vary from state to state and yeah it's I, I can't go into everything now but it's um it's sad I don't know like the so much hate totally. being pushed on such a small percentage of people that are literally just trying to like live yeah I had not heard that quote before um thanks for sharing that that was like really eye-opening even though like I I know they're discriminated against but it's it's so true they just make up such a small part of the population like get over it um and preach I just what preach (laughs) I just want to say that that was very well spoken it's obvious that you have done a lot of research into it I appreciate so much you sharing that knowledge and it like is very inspiring to me to read more about it. Um, I'm, I'm convinced. Um, <laughs> hopefully other people are convinced. Um, yeah, that was super informational. Trans, go, go trans rights, go women's rights. Yeah, yes. And obviously Title IX has made huge strides. And I hope we can keep pushing forward with that. And I hope it includes trans rights. That's yeah. like my summary that's and just because it's I will yeah just because we've made huge strides and we've come a long way doesn't mean we have to stop agree keep going keep fighting keep doing what's right thinking about yeah speak up be there for those that need you (laughs) you know for um, those that are discriminated against be the voice for the voiceless hope that inspires you Yes. Um, hope this opens up a conversation. If you have thoughts, feelings, please DM us. Would love to continue the combo. Um, we love you all. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> Truly, please rate review us because Spotify Truly. just really feature where you can give us a star. So go to our profile, give us a star. Apple Podcasts, give us a rate review. We love you. Have a great rest of your week and stay happy. As happy as you can be. Bye. Bye.